The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got Pootie, P-Nate, in Garage Mahal, uh, ready to talk about some stuff that'll help you engage culture with a biblical worldview. What's up, Pootie? We're ready to talk about some stuff. Ready to talk about stuff. <laughs> we got so stuff that's how you're doing? You're yeah. ready to we, talk about I, I'm the doing, stuff? I'm doing great. Summer has not ended, so I'm feeling Yeah, it's great. nice, eh? Get some decent weather. That's good. <laughs> that that's good. Yeah, baseball season is coming to an end. Football season is starting. The I I actually forgot baseball was a thing. Seriously, this year because the Jays are so terrible. They're so terrible. We have no teams like in our vicinity that are relevant. Like Detroit, their games don't matter anymore. Jays games don't matter anymore. That's true. It's 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 sad state. Bad. My bad. softball team, however, is still very relevant. <laughs> You're still waiting to think of it. <laughs> uh, our playoff hopes are still alive. Very riveting. Where did you guys finish? Uh, we're like middle of the pack, upper middle of the pack, I think. Yeah. So what you're saying is like... You, we're mediocre. You made the finals four out of five years that Pootie played, and then Pootie stopped playing, and you're middle of the pack. Yeah. Team fell apart. Let's point out that it has nothing to do with me. I'm a terrible <laughs> player. They moved to a much harder league. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, we are the Rebel Podcast. And uh, hopefully this isn't the first time you've heard us. But if it is, you can find out more about us at rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, as part of the Rebel Alliance Media, uh, we have a few podcasts that we bring to you on Mondays. Uh, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. It's really a podcast uh, by the Van Brimmer family, including their kids. It's for families with kids and it's teaching them church history. Uh, we also have the Awakening Reformation podcast. It's Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. And uh, they're, they've been doing a great job with the uh, uh, reforming uh, Reformation series, I guess. And they're talking about reforming family. They've talked about parenting and all that. Did a couple episodes on uh, conflict and marriage and divorce. Uh, so good stuff coming out from the Van Brimmers. They're really good at just kind of talking through biblical theology. We love them. And then, of course, today is Wednesday, so you are listening to the Rebel Podcast coming on Wednesdays, and we're trying to equip you to engage culture with biblical worldview. So that's what's going on in the world of the Rebel Alliance media. Make sure you go and check us out. Some of the blog posts. Uh, every Thursday, go and check out Andrew Emery's blog posts on um, uh, how we got here. Uh, just kind of looking at the cultural Christian eschatological landscape. How did everybody get to be pre-milled dispies? <laughs> Why does everybody believe the world's getting worse when the Bible promises the opposite? Great series of blog posts. I would encourage all of you to go on and catch up if you haven't been uh, reading them. Yeah, so it's not about a stork, a st- like a stork flying in, dropping you off. No, no, no. it's not about how that. you got here. Got no. it. That's a no. terrible joke. That is a terrible joke, but I'll hey. allow it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. It's 
I was going to say it's Monday, but it's not Monday. No, it's not even close. It is, but it is middle of the week. It's, it's hump day. So you're, you're allowed to feel uh, a little bit draggy. Uh, I got a piece of rebel news for you. I want your opinion on. Hit me. Um, well, first of all, did you hear Obama and Trump taking pot shots at each other? I, I heard about it. I didn't actually hear it, though. Like, Yeah, it was funny. Um, Obama uh, said, like, it shouldn't be that hard to say Nazis are bad. It shouldn't be that hard to say we should care for the elderly. It shouldn't be that hard to say that um, we shouldn't build a wall all around the country. So he's just taking shots. And then it was funny because I was expecting Trump to come back like he normally does and get right into it. But he just said, did you guys see Obama's speech the other day? It was great. I fell asleep. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny. But it's, uh, it's funny because they've been they've actually been going at it for about twenty years. Yeah, like it, it is funny. People yeah. forget that like Trump was the one that was all about like show me your passport. Yeah, show me your birth certificate, and like so they've they've literally been at loggerheads for like yeah. That's a very British word I just used there, nice. loggerhead. But they've been at it for like eh, about ten, at least 10, 15 years by now. It'd be great to see what will happen once they're both out of office and we can finally get them back in that WWF ring. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Well, um, Trump's, Trump's already been on, yeah. right? So. I think the experience you'd have to go with, with Trump, even though Obama's in better shape. Would it be a ladder match? Oh, if it's a ladder match, Obama has it hands down. He's, he's, <laughs> he's spindly. Yeah. yeah uh, he's got a longer reach, too, obviously. But um, <laughs> spe- <laughs> speaking of presidents we don't want to hear from anymore... Uh, <laughs> Great segue. Um, Chelsea Clinton, who wasn't president, but her father was, and we wish he hadn't been. Um, So she got into some trouble a couple of weeks ago. Um, She was in an interview with Signal Boost, uh, and there she called herself a deeply religious person who holds a pro-choice view because that's the Christian view. So let me read you a quote. Okay, what? Chelsea Clinton said on this interview, quote, When I think about all the statistics that are painful of what women are confronting today in our country and what even more women confronted pre-Roe v. Wade and how many women died and how many more women were maimed because of unsafe abortion practices, we just can't go back to that. As a deeply religious person, that is unchristian to me. So, so here's the thing. <laughs> I'm confused. So. so basically what she's saying is that if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, because they're talking about the Kavanaugh um, hearings, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, she's saying, number one, abortion laws are Christian. Secondly, she's saying, um, basically, if, if Roe v. Wade gets turned over, then women are going to get abortions anyway, and they're going to do it in dangerous ways. So... The reason I point this out is because it, you know, it was in the news. It's worth us talking about, but I just want to kind of put an end to this. I hate of all the arguments for pro-choice. This is one of my least favorite. If, if abortion was illegal, people would still get abortions and they do it in back alleys or they do it with, uh, uh, coat hangers. And there was actually, there's, um, one of the Republican, um, senators, uh, who is pro-choice and a bunch of the liberals were trying to get her to vote against Kavanaugh so that Kavanaugh wouldn't be confirmed um, in the Supreme Court. Uh, they sent something like two, like different people were encouraged to do this, but they sent something like 250 coat hangers to her political office as like a, like, this is what you'd be doing if you allow Kavanaugh to come in. So I, the reason I hate this argument is because like, 
it's just such it's such a ridiculous thing to say women are going to get pregnant anyway so we so we might as well allow them to have an abortion you know legally so number one we're saying we're justifying women going against the law of the land right by by saying you know since they're going to do this whether we outlaw it or not let's just you know make it and but the second thing is like are we are are we forgetting a step here like women do not spontaneous this isn't spontaneous combustion like women <laughs> do, women do not get pregnant spontaneously that happened this once is, <laughs> yeah, one time yeah. and the world's never been the same um like regardless of what your junior high teacher told you you will not get pregnant by looking at a boy right so like this doesn't just happen and so my point is is that if women want the reward of sex which god ordained to be between one man one woman in marriage forever if they want that in any other way or even within marriage and and the point of sex is fruitfulness if 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 women are trying to get around that whole thing there are many choices that lead up to getting pregnant that they don't have to take they don't have to be like i'm i'm not saying like and i get it you could say oh it's 2018 preaching abstinence isn't no 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 I, what I'm saying is that there are so many different decisions that lead up to that. And of course, like if you want to have sex, there's no possible way a human being can choose to be in a ongoing sexual relationship without kids being on the table. Like it's just ridiculous. So I hate this argument. We get this in, to- in tons of different arguments, uh, tons of different like uh, arguments that we get into, but we get the, the abortion one. This one comes up all the time. It's like the idea... Let's let's do this sin to stop another sin. Yeah. So let's allow us to murder our babies to prevent women from doing it in the back alleys, committing another sin. It's just it's just an, like an asinine type yeah, idea. It if, really is. Like it's, it's one. It's not biblical. So Chelsea Clinton. That's You're wrong. not the religious yeah. view. Yeah. Sorry. No. Um, Deeply religious? Like, don't, come on. <laughs> I would love to know what religion. Um, <laughs> Secular humanism. <laughs> you, I'm sure she is very deeply religious yeah. in that fact. Yeah, we all in that are. Fact. Um, that, that's just a terrible argument. The other thing that, that drives me insane about this, and you kind of like alluded to it, and I'll probably get just torn apart for this, but I hate the, the idea that the narrative shift about shifted around the the abortion argument to about to protecting women. Yeah. That this seriously. is this is protecting people. Yeah. Like you've already said, there are numerous steps that have to be taken place to avoid even the need for an abortion. Yeah. This isn't a, this isn't a protecting women women's yeah. issue. If that's the case, make just straight up make sex outside of marriage illegal. Done. Problem solved. <laughs> well even beyond that, like even <laughs> okay, even once thing. the pregnancies happen, right? Even once the pregnancies happen, it's like Abortion does not protect women. It it's authorizing, and I think this is a, a quote from John Piper. It you know, abortion laws are not protecting women. They're authorizing the destruction of five hundred thousand women in North America every single year. So so it's not about protecting women. It's not. No, exactly. I saw a stat on the internet, um, and all stats on the internet are accurate. Yeah. Um, but it was like it was basically breaking it down. In Canada, I think there's a thousand or 2000 babies aborted every day. Um, something something like maybe that's North America. I think I think it was just Canada though. Uh, which would mean, you know, fig- you got to figure it's about 50-50 um, unless we start saying that there's like 18 different genders, but 50-50 <laughs> that was a funny joke. 50-50. So you've got to figure a thousand women are getting murdered every single day before they like in in the womb 
that's not protecting anybody. That's genocide. Right. And, you know, in no walk of life would we say that murdering thousand, a thousand or even like even 500 really, but a thousand people for no reason is acceptable. We would go to war to stop this. We would yeah. militarize and everybody would be behind the campaign to go to a country and end this kind of behavior. Yeah. Yet we let it happen in our own, yeah. in our own society. It blows my mind, yeah. the hypocrisy of this. And the problem is, and we've talked about this many times, so I don't need to beat a dead horse, but, um, the problem is, is that the reason people are okay with it is because we've dehumanized what's being killed, right? Just like the slave owners did with their slaves, right? Um, if, if we don't consider a fetus human, um, then we, we can do whatever we want with it. And it's just such a ridiculous thing. Um, the other, uh, just when you were talking about that, the other thing that, uh, when you said, let's just outlaw sex outside of, <laughs> of marriage, which, Hey, there you go. Why don't you run on that platform? <laughs> pretty soon. I probably will get, I probably will get far, but like no half measures, right? right. Like no got, half measures. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what, what I find, uh, kind of interesting is, you know, the, the tagline is, you know, it's my body, my choice. Right. And so we're saying, amen, your choice, you choose whether or not you want to have sex. And if you choose to have sex, then kids might be a possibility. And there are so many options. There are so many options. You know, we, you hear all the time, oh, there's all these kids in the system who, um, you know, can't, uh, can't find homes for, and you know what, the reality is there are kids who need to be adopted, but the, the majority of kids who are still in the system, um, unfortunately, and we're not saying this is a good thing, uh, they have special needs. Um, they're older. Uh, they come from backgrounds of abuse. Uh, they didn't go into the system until they were older. But in terms of babies being put up for adoption, there are waiting lists. There are tons of couples on the waiting list to adopt a baby. So carry, you know, carry that baby, give it up for adoption. There are parents who want it. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I know people, I won't say their, their, their names, but who have been on the waiting list for a, for, a, for a baby to adopt. Now, they already have three kids on their own, and then for one reason or another, they weren't able to have any more, but they said, hey, we wanted more, so we're going to adopt. They've taken a couple in as just foster, cho- foster children that are a little older, but they, they're on the waiting list for a baby. They've been on that waiting list for over two years Yeah, because there's... Babies get, I was about to say sucked up really quickly. That's about it. But, but no, that's just, what happens when like, they're aborted, actually. <laughs> sure, yeah. exactly. That's why I didn't want to use it for yeah. But like they get, there's there's people, great families who are waiting for, for the baby all the time. All you have to do is hold it for nine, for nine months, right? Yeah. I, I want to throw a pushback at you because this is, this is something I hear every single time abortion comes up and every single time we talk about it and we never, I don't know if we've ever actually specifically addressed this on the podcast. So here's, here's something that if you're listening and you're pro choice or, or whatnot, you might, you might throw at us, but we're going to give you a chance. So I'm going to say, I'm going to pretend I'm that person. So what would you say in the case of rape? So rape would be the one exception where yeah. the woman isn't per- actively participating in trying to create the, create the baby. She's being forced to do that. And that happens. Right. How would you handle that if that if somebody was asking you that question? Okay, so there's there's a couple things I'd say. If I was talking to somebody who's a lawmaker and and I have had I, I've had this conversation with my local MP and she actually used that example. And I said, Okay, you know what? I I still have reasons to think that that should still be illegal, but okay, let's let's make abortion illegal in every other case. Okay, I'll get behind that bill. I'll support you. Uh, you can even put your sign on my front lawn. There you go. So that's my first, my first thing because, um, incest and rape 
are less than 0.05% of abortions in Canada. Point, less than half of 1% of the abortions in Canada happen because of rape and because of um, incest. So, okay. To a lawmaker, I would say, all right, let's do it. Let's drop that bill. I'll sign it right now, you know, and I'll put your, your, I'll, I'll campaign for you, you know? Um, so that would be the first thing. If I'm just talking to somebody who is kind of theory spinning and they're trying to, to throw it out there as a sort of gotcha, I would say a couple things. I would say, okay, what happens to the, the woman who makes the courageous choice and chooses not to abort the child that was um, conceived because of rape, but then she has that child. And she realizes maybe she's not as attached to that child as she should be. She doesn't have the same sort of motherly affection as some of her friends have for their kids. And then, you know, as the kid becomes a toddler, um, you know, and let's say they're two years old and they go from that like baby bald conehead to, you know, uh, blonde hair, their blue eyes have stuck around in two years. And suddenly she's starting to see the characteristics of her attacker in that child starting to see the eyes and the resemblance and the hair and the, the, the features. Because that child is a constant reminder of her traumatic experience, should she be able to kill the child? And anybody in the right mind would say, no, of course not. There are so many other options. Put it up for adoption. And I would just say, exactly. So why, why are we making that decision when they're two and not when, and you know, making a different decision when they're three months and it's because it doesn't seem like a human. So the question has nothing to do with how did the pregnancy happen? It has everything to do with, are you killing a human being? So that's the conversation. That's where we want to get to in the conversation is, is this killing a human being or not? Because if it is killing a human being, location shouldn't matter. Stage of development shouldn't matter. You know what's interesting is that one of the reasons that the slave owners um, said that they had a right to own African-American slaves is because they used evolutionary worldview. And they said um, uh, black individuals from African Africa are not as um, evolved as we are. Their stage of development is earlier. Therefore, you know, they um, are, shouldn't be considered human. Isn't that all we're doing with abortion? They're not fully formed yet, right? They, they still rely on the mother, like some diabetics rely on insulin. Therefore, we should kill them. So it, it's not about the circumstances. I, and I would say, so number one to the lawmaker, sure. I would, it would be a victory if, if we outlawed abortions in every case except rape. But then once we start talking about that, I would, I would still say that there are so many other options. And to a Christian, I would say, Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Do you not think, do you not think that if God ordains a pregnancy out of such a horrible situation that he might have a plan for that child? Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fantastic. I just while you were talking, I just did a, did a quick research check on the internet, and I found the New York Times reported that less than one percent of rapes, or less than one percent of abortions, were cited the cause the reason for the pregnancy was rape since uh, the conception of the of legalized abortion. So since nineteen sixty something, yep. Until now, less than one percent has been that, and out of those. 
about 80% of those were statutory rape where the where both members were under the age of uh, under the age of 16 so it's like most of them are, are planned they're right. just not planned pregnancies right, right? so, so point it's, zero it's, two <laughs> was was actual yeah. like yeah so I thought that was, I just thought that was very interesting yeah. so there's there's somebody who gave us a little yep. pushback so we thought we'd, we'd answer it yeah um, let's take a break and then we'll move into our number perfect Have you checked out the new Rebel Alliance Media website? RebelAllianceMedia.com. It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmers. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. Welcome back. So we're here. What we're going to do for the next little while, we wanted to give you guys a preview of kind of what we're going to be doing over the next little while. It's a series on the parables. Um, and we, when you're thinking of the parables, it's interesting to think about, have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question, well, why did Jesus teach in parable? Why didn't you just tell everybody like very plainly what was happening, what was going to happen? Instead, he chose to share the good news of the kingdom and, and, of what it will be like in parable. And so we're going to answer that question. And then we're going to talk about one of a few of the parables and why it's important for us to understand these and how these parables help us engage culture with a biblical worldview. Cause we think they have a lot to say about how we live our lives today and how we act, interact with our friends and family and our workers and yeah. coworkers and whatnot. It um, is interesting that, um, you know, Jesus chose to teach in, in parables. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons we want to get into this is number one, we're all about, Equipping Christians to engage culture with a biblical worldview. So uh, we we think that all the teaching of Jesus is meant to equip. And I, I think when you look at the book of Acts and, and all that the apostles accomplished um, after the Holy Spirit fell on them, after their three-year discipleship with Jesus himself, um, they were equipped to engage culture, right? And to endure beatings and to be dragged in front of, um, you know, courts and officials and those in power. And, uh, and I think the parables were some of uh, the teaching of Jesus that really helped equip them. The second thing is we, we, we think that the, the parables are often um, misunderstood. So uh, we often think about the parables as kind of Aesop's fables, right? Like um, here's, here's a story that has a little lesson attached to it. And so the little lesson is go and be a good neighbor or, you know, go and forgive people. And there are certainly application. There is application um, to be had from, to be taken from the parables, but we actually think they're a whole lot deeper than that. And, and a whole lot more profound than that. I think that they, uh, were prophetic in a lot of, uh, cases. And I think that Jesus was talking about things that we often miss when we're looking at the parables. So, mm. um, so we want to, we want to walk through the parables and how they equip us to engage culture with a biblical worldview. Um, so why don't we start off by, by defining what a parable is, 
Um, so um, sometimes uh, you'll hear the definition. One of the simple ones that a lot of churches and pastors say is uh, a parable is a earth an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, uh, which is kind of a, a cutesy little phrase. I, I don't think it's uh, quite that simple, but I would say a parable is a parable uh, is a practical story that's often framed as a simile, which is just a comparison using like or as. Um, so it's it's a practical story often framed as a simile, which illustrates a spiritual truth. So it's a, it's, it's a practical story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And that, that practical story often has to do with the world around them. And so a lot of the parables of Jesus had to do with farming and agriculture because he was speaking to an agrarian society. And so they would understand that. Um, and so a lot of his parables have to do with seeds and, and fields and farming and sheep and wolves and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a parable is just a practical story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And, uh, and so the, if that's what Jesus was doing, the question is, why did he speak to people this way? Right. And I think it's interesting, right? So you get a lot of pastors and I would actually be critical of pastors who spend their entire time telling stories in sermons, right? We, we, we think that expositional preaching is, is the way that pastors ought to, to teach. Um, and yet Jesus used these parables. So number one, uh, we have to recognize that Jesus is allowed to teach however he wants to teach. <laughs> <laughs> and all of his words are the words of God. Um, but Jesus spoke in parables for in a, in a really, um, uh, I'll say for a very specific reason. Um, so, I mean, if you hadn't, we, we kind of talked through this, but like, you know, prior to you and I kind of talking through this and, and when I preached through Matthew and we had lots of conversations, why would you have said, if somebody said, why did, why did Jesus teach in parables? What would have been your first answer, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, like before you'd kind of studied and delved into it? Why, if somebody said that to you, why would you say that he taught in parables? Well, I, th- I think the two reasons people, I think, naturally think Jesus taught in parables. One is because we naturally equate it to how we tell stories. Right. So how we, how I would teach something to, to you, I would give you an example. I would give you, hey, here's, here's what I'm trying to communicate, but I don't really know how to do it. So I'm going to give you an example. So that's naturally why people, I think people think he's, he's teaching in parables. And then the second thing is like, for the person who was trying to be more spiritual would say, well, it was prophesied he'd speak in, in parables. So he had no choice. Right. So that wasn't planned. He was bound by the fact that somebody prophesied this. He's like, I got to do it because Dang Isaiah, it, Isaiah said it. Why would you say that? Like, Isaiah said this, I have no choice now. So here I'm going to, I'm going to tongue twist you. Um, but I don't think either, like neither of those are the reason. Obviously. Um, and I, th- I think understanding the reason for it, really helps you understand not only the parables, but also gives you one, I think insight into Jesus, insight into Jesus, but also great assurance in the promises of, of what he's, mm, what he's yeah, teaching. I think, good point. I think that really helps. And I remember the first time you, you, you mentioned this thing. I hadn't thought about it before. So then when I, I read them again, I was just like, she's like, thank you, father. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, seriously. Okay. So, um, since we're keeping you on the edge of your seat, <laughs> let us dispel your anxiety, um, uh, by answering the question. And, and like so many things in scripture, um, 
Uh, this is simple and easy. So why did Jesus speak in parables? Did you know that that question was actually posed to Jesus in the inspired word of God and he answered it very plainly? So in Matthew chapter 13, and and for the record, we're gonna go through the parables and we're gonna stay in Matthew. Um, there are other parables in other things and we're not gonna touch on every parable. We're gonna kind of just go through Matthew just so we're staying locked into one book. And so uh, if you're a regular listener to the uh, Rebel Alliance podcast, maybe this will get you into Matthew. Maybe you can use this as some of your devotions or whatever. Um, but But uh, anyway, Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 says, Then the disciples came and said to him, came to Jesus and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Hey, there you go. So that, that was actually asked of Jesus. And he answered them. Verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, I mean, this is just jam-packed. Cole's Notes version, why did Jesus teach the people in parables? So that some people wouldn't understand what he was saying. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Let, let's let's take yeah. a moment to stop at that because that the implications of that are huge. Yeah. Implication one is that that's on purpose. Yeah. There's like God, Jesus, one, one part of the Trinity yeah. purposely is talking in a way that certain people aren't going to understand it. That's right. And then you have to ask the question, well, what's the difference between those who understand it and those who don't understand it? And the answer there is what's been given to them. Right. They've been given eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that understands. That's it. So it's, it's so interesting. I mean, this is so, I mean, the, the implications of this are huge. So number one, wherever you're listening to this from, if your church is one of these seeker sensitive churches that says we have to preach in a practical down to earth way, let's not use Christianese, let's not all that kind of stuff. Stop. Because Jesus said the reason he taught the way he did is so that some wouldn't understand. That's, I, I think that's, that's huge. It's not, it's not our job to apologize for, water down, dumb down the word of God so that people understand. Jesus spoke to people so that they wouldn't understand. And part of the reason for that is because in not understanding, they understand they're, in judge, they're under judgment and they need to go to Jesus for the understanding. And so interesting to me that so often the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. How many times, and we're going to get to this as we go through many of these parables in the weeks to come, how many times did the disciples come and say, hey, uh, we didn't get it, <laughs> right? And he doesn't say, woe to you who don't have eyes to see. He very patiently explains it to them. So the whole the whole purpose in, in that was he was drawing those who would need to come to him for an explanation, come to him for understanding, come to him for eyes to see and ears to hear. The whole point is you need me for this, 
Remember what he said to the Pharisees? He said, um, like, woe to you. You, you search, the, you know the scriptures and you search the scriptures for truth, but you don't come to me and they bear witness to me. The whole point is you're not coming to me for understanding. You're not coming to me for eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that understands. So the whole point of the parables is forcing people to come to Jesus for the understanding that they need. That is the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart that understands. So Jesus spoke in such a way as to confuse some and to equip others. He meant to confuse people. He wanted people to walk away going, what the heck was that all about? So that they were either forced on their knees before him to, to humble themselves and come to him for understanding or to walk away and, and say, this guy's, this guy's a, a nut job. And, and the reason is, is because, and I think, uh, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 2 that talks about this, right? Where it says that uh, we are the aroma of Christ to those who are dying and to those who are living, right? An aroma of death to death De- uh, to those who are dying and an aroma of life for life to those who are being saved. So the whole idea is that there, there are always two reactions to the message of Jesus, hostility and humility, right? Um, adamant opposition and humble obedience. Those are the two. And so he's spoken parables in such a way to force people to either be hostile to his message or humble to his message. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's something we don't, we don't like to think about, like when I say we, I don't mean me and you specifically. I mean the church at large doesn't like to think about the idea that if God is drawing people to himself, so he's giving the ears to hear for, to some, which means God who's sovereign is doing the opposite to the other people. He's always doing one of two things. He's either drawing people to him or he, those who the aroma, the fragrance of Christ is life. The other part is he's driving the others away. He's hardening right. the hearts like he hardened Pharaoh's heart, That's Romans right. 9. He hardened the heart. He drove those people away from him, away from them. Now, there's many theological implications about what does that look like? What does that mean? The point is, is that some are being drawn in and some are being drawn away all by the way he's teaching and he's doing that on purpose. So we wanted to kind of take, take this one and we wanted to back up to a thing that isn't a parable, but it's kind of like a parable. People, it, 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 yeah, he says, people, he, yeah, it's kind of a parable. It's sort of a parable. And that's the idea of salt and light. And so we were talking about this before, and I, I think, and I, I would like to get your thoughts on this. I think people have this this text wrong. And what just, I th- just before we go there, just to kind of drive the point home, I, ha- I had a quote here from Matthew Henry. Sorry, I should have told you I wanted to, to read understand. this little quote. So this is a quote from Matthew Henry, um, and he's talking about Matthew 13, where Jesus says, the secrets of the kingdom haven't been given to them. Um, he's, and he says, those who take up the cross gain more access to kingdom truth. Those who reject Christ lose whatever insight they had. Um, the parables make the things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught, and at the same time, more difficult and obscure to those who are willfully ignorant. A, final, a person's final response to the parables reveals whether or not he is of the elect. Boom. That's, 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 that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, and that, so, that's what we were kind of talking about. Was yeah, like, exactly. They give you an assurance, right? That's right. Understanding the parables help you with understanding that I, I am one of the people who hear because of grace in my life, because God has done a work in me. That's right. I, I can understand these things only because of the spirit that he's given me. And yeah. I, think that, I think that's a very useful quote. I love that quote. We should put that on the show tag. But, there you go. And then uh, maybe I'll get it tattooed. Anyway, uh, side note, uh, but that's it's like, a long I, quote. You'd have to find like I got know, a lot of the, arm. 
<laughs> that's weird. Uh, but that's, I think that's really good. So Yeah. Um, okay. So now you wanted to back up to uh, Matthew chapter 5, I think it is. Matthew 5. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew 5. Um, basically starting in verse 13. Um, and it's just the idea of salt and light. Because this is, this is one of those... <laughs> those verses that I think, I think we have wrong when we, when we think of what that is. And, and the reason we're tying this to the parables is because the parables are all about how we engage culture. And so is, so is this, this text is about. And, and just to put some context here, remember that Matthew five, the Sermon on the Mount starts with um, the disciples uh, at Jesus feet. And, and it starts with the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, all of these things. And essentially what he's doing, if you can picture it, there's, there's commentaries that can help you work through this. But what happens is um, there are large crowds around Jesus. And then it actually says that he goes up the mountain and then he sits and turns on the mountain and his disciples, it says, come up with him. So he's actually speaking to his disciples with the rest of the crowd watching. So when he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit and all these things, he's referring to his disciples. He's referring to those who are elect, right? Those who have been chosen to receive the secrets of the kingdom of, of heaven. So so he's like the 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 beatitudes are sort of the um, the blueprint of what a disciple looks like. Um, and so right after doing that, he jumps into uh, verse 13, which you're going to get to here. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just read it so that everybody's on the same page. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a, a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so, the reason I want to I want to back up to that is because I thought I think I think where we get we're getting that verse wrong is people always think like be salt and light to the world, and the verse actually says you are salt and light to the world. Right. And so, when we tie that to the parables, the people who understand well, we are salt and light. Right. We need to be both of those things right. at all times. Right. It's. It's not what you do. It's, it's right? who you are. Yeah, but what I mean by that is like you aren't doing salty things. You are salt, right? That's that's mm. that's where we're going yes. with this. Is like it's not like go and do things that are salty to preserve or or do things that are light to whatever. It's it's that you are salt and you are light. And so um, you're absolutely right is, is, and this is, I mean, this is the whole thing. Jesus prays in John chapter 17 um, for his disciples saying that they are in the world, but not of the world. This is the whole point. We're sent out as light amidst darkness. We're sent out as salt in a world that needs preservation. Um, and so the, the whole idea here is that um, light pushes back darkness, right? Light and, light and darkness don't actually mix. If, if there's a completely dark room and you turn on a light, the light overtakes the darkness. It doesn't, they, the two don't mix. It's not like, well, this is how light, it, how light uh, the light is, and then the darkness is dark, so it makes some sort of a gray. It's like, that's not how light and dark work. Light overtakes darkness. And so the whole idea is that you are being sent as light into a dark world. And so your job is to be in the darkness, in the world, even though you are not of the world, you are not of the darkness, you are, you are light. So when we talk about engaging culture with a biblical worldview, this is the whole point. Christians are meant to win the culture. Christians are meant to overtake the culture, overtake the culture of, of darkness with a culture of light. We are meant to, a world that left to its own devices, 
would rot and decay. But because we are salt, we preserve what what uh, God has uh, has given to us. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, salt and light. This is like one of the premier engaging culture texts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the 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 nice thing is like when we were, how we were talking about the implications of like some who get it, some who don't. Well, this verse talks about people who have lost their saltiness. Yeah. So people who are were not salt, basically. Because, and and how do you know which one you are? Well, the beatitudes are the characteristics of salt. Blessed the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the the peacemakers. So how do we engage culture with the with the parables? How do we engage culture by being those things to the world around us? Right. That's how we shed light. That's how we preserve truth by doing all, all of those things. And I think that's, once we understand that, we'll start to understand the parables yep. and then we can start to actually engage culture the way we're supposed to. I think. Right. And, and so because the culture or the parables make sense of the world around us, this is, and this is the whole point, the, the parables make sense of the world around us. So now you are sent into the world as somebody who knows how the world works, Amen. right? So, so the parable teaches you what the world is all about. And, and especially when we get into um, uh, chapter 13, Matthew 13, and the kingdom parables. Um, the whole point is Jesus is teaching his disciples what the kingdom of God is like. And so Christians who understand what the kingdom of God is and how it grows and what it's going to accomplish in the world around us are sent as people of understanding, people who have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. That means you are salty and you are light and you're sent into the world knowing how the world works around you. Because the reality is, is that anybody who does not have the word of God does not know how the world uh, works around them. In fact, people who don't have the word of God are like Chelsea Clinton <laughs> who, who, who looks at abortion and says, that's the Christian thing to do, right? Because um, I think it's Isaiah 7 that says, woe to they who call up, down, who call good or evil good and good evil. Woe to they who call darkness for light and light for darkness. So you, if you do not understand the word of God, you do not know how the world works. And therefore you are apt to call good bad and bad good and up down and down up and light darkness and darkness light. But the, the parables explain to us how the world around us works. And as people going into the world, understanding how it works, what God has said about it, what God commanded of it makes you salty, makes you light tea. <laughs> <laughs> makes light, you light. <laughs> makes you lighty. Yeah. Makes your light shine bright. Can you say that? that's so Yeah, it just sounds cheesy. It does, it does. But yeah. But yes. But yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm saying. Um so the uh the 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 call for us to be salt and light. And remember that the the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the 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 magnum opus in terms of uh, sermons. I think it was Jeff Durbin said it's the greatest sermon ever preached. Well, yeah, it's it's the, that's the sermon of, of Jesus that we have Thanks, recorded. Captain, obviously. So, yeah, so that works out. Um, and uh, and here he's talking. He, he frames it all around. This is what my people look like, and this is what they are. They look like those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, who are persecuted for righteousness. And what do they do? Or that, that's what they look like. And what are they? They are salt and they are light, being sent out into a world of decay and a world of darkness. Amen. So, so we're going to take, basically, like we said, this is kind of the intro, so you guys got your heads in the right spot for the next coming weeks. So we're going to take some time just bouncing through some of these parables, showing you how they 
how that helps us interpret the world around us and how we can engage culture with this with these texts and what our role is in in these in these parables in these stories um won't say which one so you have to come back every week to check out which one we're doing um but make sure you tune in tune in is that a way yeah it works tune in yeah. tune in check it out um and then as always if you like what you heard please like share us on facebook um follow us on soundcloud and also check out the awakening reformation podcast and fathers of the faith if you haven't already done so i know a lot of you have but there are more of you who are being rebellious <laughs> this well, time in the bad way <laughs> <laughs> yeah not as rebels but as oh never mind <laughs> <laughs> it kind of worked yeah. all right thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week